This is Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural, remote and regional Australia. Gardens can heal anything. Plants, place, space, escape. Everything about gardens and gardening, it is all a balm for our guest today, Cassandra Hook, who lives and gardens on the Hay Plains in the New South Wales Western Riverina. You might know Cass as Outback Gardens on Instagram, where she documents the growth of her newly established gardens on the plains in nothing more than just a friendly and helpful nature. And if you've read the latest issue of Grazy Her, the autumn edition, you'll also know Cass from her beautiful article written by Victoria Carey and photographed by Emma Cross. How Cass's story and her garden all came to be is not what you think. And as with any person's story, there are roots and twists and turns that have led Cass to value the effects of gardening and nurturing plants and growing a place way more than this nature lover ever expected. A little note that we recorded this interview just three weeks after Cass gave birth to her little girl, Sybil. And so it is fitting that she's lying in Cass's arms and that you can occasionally hear her gurgles and murmurs. Cass, thank you so much for talking with us at this time and congratulations on the safe arrival of little Sybil. Thank you Sky. it's um, lovely to be with you this morning and even lovelier to have my little girl in my arms. It's been a, a long journey in a way and yes feeling very loved up and grateful in the newborn bubble that's for sure. There's nothing better than the newborn bubble. It's such a special time. <laughs> so <Definitely>. probably <laughs> a gorgeous time to talk with you, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I wish I could go back to when I was um, in this stage with Jack and give this confidence to that woman then yeah. um, and just tell her to cherish it a bit more and slow down. So. so where are you now? Tell me where you are, what you do, who you live with, and we'll go from there. Sure. I am sitting at home at my dining room table, currently giving Sybil a little bottle. Um, I live at um, Barubin um, in New South Wales. It's between Daniloquin and Hay. I live on a sheep property with my husband, Marcus, um, and my son, Jack, who's four, and Sybil, who's three weeks tomorrow. Um, My husband is a merino sheep farmer. We have a a sheep, a merino sheep stud called East London Merinos and also commercial flock. We work with my husband's brother and his parents as well. So we're on 64,000 acres here. It's lovely. It's Hay Plains and if anyone's been out here, it's the flattest place and but there's something quite beautiful about it as well. How did you happen to end up there? Uh, so my husband and I met at uni. He was doing ag science and I was doing um, a degree in biology. Yeah, we shared a lot of subjects and then after university we started dating and I decided to go back and do a dip head after my biology degree. The principal actually offered me a job only a few months later at the local high school and um, gave me the opportunity to move up here and I rang Marcus and said he wants me to start next week can I move in with you so Marcus uh, moved back to the farm 
straight after uni, pretty much before he even finished his uni course. And um, I'd been visiting over the year of working in the veggie industry and it was, you know, what it's like, love, and you just do what you do. And um, it was, yeah, a nice opportunity to have that job that I could go straight into. And, yeah, it was a, it was a massive move, but it was, I'm, I'm glad the opportunity was there to do it. And tell me what was it like when you, like what were you living um, where were you living in the same house that you're in now? No, no. So our house is newly built here. We're on actually the third property we've lived on here. Um, so we were in a little cottage, a beautiful little two-bedroom cottage. And I look back on that time so fondly, so easy, this little cottage on the main farm. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was lovely. Um, it was an hour drive into the school every day and back. Um, so it was quite a lot, but I know a lot of people do a lot more than that, but, um, it was a decent amount five days a week and yeah, I I loved it. It was, it was really special. And then we purchased another property next door and then moved there for a few years. And then we eventually have settled here on the third property that we've bought in this area. Um, and yeah, and we built this house two years ago now we moved in. So yeah, it's, it's lovely to call home. Did you know that when you got that property that 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 would be the property where you would build your forever home? No, not necessarily. Um, We were actually pretty settled where we were, um, but within family planning, we we decided that this was best for um, our day-to-day life. Um, It's a larger property um, for Marcus to be here and um, the workload to be divided between, you know, himself and his brother and, also where we were was on beautiful private lake and we really did think it would be a nice spot for Marcus's parents to to be um and and yeah and here we had lots of lots of conveniences like the school bus at our mailbox and closer to one of the towns and um yeah just all those life choices but it's very much home now yeah and I'm definitely going to talk about you know how I, I just you know, I'm a follower. I like many people on Instagram yep. and I just get this feeling that you're a wonderful homemaker, but I can't let you get away without asking a little bit about where you've come from. So what was your childhood like? Did you grow up in similar circumstances? No, not at all. So I grew up in a completely whole opposite world. I grew up in Melbourne, in the outer suburbs of Eastern Melbourne, I'm in a beautiful area called Eltham. Um, It's hills, it's gum trees, it's lovely. Like it is, it's very much, you know, suburbs, but you wouldn't know it with all the trees and nature around you. Um, I grew up there with my mom, like my four siblings, I'm one of five. And um, yeah, so very different, not country at all. Where does the, how, how does it all connect? Is it just by chance or did you have an interest in, nature and your surroundings from where you grew up yeah I've always had this innate appreciation for nature it's all the cycles the beauty the intricacies the everything I've always appreciated nature I've always had a very deep appreciation for it and respect for it um my family were always outdoor people we spent a lot of time down the beach growing up my grandparents were avid gardeners and they came from rural backgrounds in Poland they purchased a small block we called it a farm but I guess now it's a block in central Victoria it's very much ingrained in my roots and blood um 
So your grandparents are from Poland. Did they grow up in, did they live in Australia or they, did they grow up there? They grew up in Australia, um, in Poland, sorry. And they, they left like most grandparents during wartime um, and moved to Australia and they set up life here with my mum and my mum was born in Australia and yeah, they, they were just goers. I don't know how else to explain them. My grandfather passed away when I was quite young, but my nan still alive. Go her. She's incredible. Um, oh, wow. How old is she? She's 97. My mom's going to kill me if I get the wrong, but I'm sure she's 97. <laughs> um, she's not in a, in a great way, but she's a huge inspiration to me. And yeah, she was very much in the garden all the time. We spent many hours with my nan growing up down in um in Preston in Melbourne they had a large large suburban block and it was just veg full of vegetable patches and fruit trees and ornamental gardens and they were it was a lifestyle as my mum puts it it wasn't just a hobby it was they grew all their fruit and vegetables like many um ethnicities um you know at that time I don't know it's um so it was just part of my life yeah like how do you think that has influenced you it's so it's such a beautiful um thing to have had as you as you were growing up but when you look back on it now how do you reminisce on that I suppose um I just wish I had written things down or I wish we had what we have now of phones of taking photos in two seconds or videos of them to just have those memories so like distorted and um but it was yeah it was a great time like to walk down the back of my nan's place and pick strawberries that she grew particularly for me or you know um like grab the silver beet to feed her budgies and hunt for cucumbers in her backyard like you just I don't know it was amazing and it definitely was ingrained in me and um that's you know what I wanted to do I wanted to grow my own veggies and plants and my mum and dad also appreciated gardening and you know we had more of a native style garden in Elsom due to the heavy clay and hills but yeah it was just part of my life going to markets to buy plants or spending time at Nan's in the backyard it was whatever it might be mowing the lawn pruning a wisteria like it was just part of life and Mm. um, it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that some of the knowledge I knew wasn't just common knowledge it was um, something that had been very much ingrained in me whether by purpose or not, but it's something that, yeah, definitely stuck with me. As you went through your schooling days, did you think that you'd become a gardener or, you know, some a landscape gardener or something to, in that same field? Um, it probably wasn't until I was in year 11 and I had a great biology teacher. So go teachers out there because you really can change people's courses in life. I had a fabulous year 11 biology teacher and I think she realised that it was just something that interests me um I was just lucky to have something that you know took my eye and um, I know a lot of people don't have that some people do but I was really lucky that um biology it just kind of clicked for me I was really interested in it and um she really encouraged that she got me into a, a couple of different programs and things like that and so yeah I very much then decided oh this is what I'm going to do after uni I didn't really know well, at uni I mean um I didn't really know exactly which field I was going into but I just knew that's what I kind of wanted to study and further and my so, interests. So that was the way that you could keep yourself involved with like plants and um, the cycles of nature and things like that, but in a more professional manner? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, 
I also had a friend that was working for a local landscape architect who's pretty well renowned, um, Robert Boyle. Um, he lived locally. He had his um, his office, his design studio, and his you know little nursery in his private house, just pretty next door to my high school. Um, and my friend was working there at the time and said, "Hey, they're wanting more people." Um, so that was an incredible opportunity, which once again I probably didn't realize at the time how lovely that was. So. I began working with Robert Boyle. I was probably about 15, I think. And I worked in for, they had a beautiful cafe. They've recently just sold, unfortunately, but they had a beautiful cafe and shop and little garden that you could visit. So I worked in the garden and worked in his little nursery, which he supplied for his, you know, plants for his jobs or uh, propagated some own plants for his garden, personal garden and for jobs. Um, and yeah, I, I learned so much from Rob. It, he was a very generous, kind man with his knowledge and, you know, us little kids doing all this, yeah, all this garden work and what we were learning from him at the time. I think we just didn't realise how good it was. Um, and I was there for quite a few years. So that was lovely. And I got to go out on a few lovely jobs, um, do some maintenance on some beautiful properties. But yeah, so that was a pretty special time too. And so that very much encouraged my gardening side then. Um, I had the biology with school and, but then, yeah, the um, the gardening really took off from there, I think. So to end up on a farm of your own with your own garden, was that the ultimate for you? Oh, definitely. Probably not this far from uh, Melbourne, <laughs> from home. But, yeah, I always I always pictured myself on a, a large block or a farm, a hobby farm. Yeah, even before I was dating Marcus, it was that was probably my personal goal was to set up somewhere in the country and, yeah, have that lifestyle. So when you and Marcus moved to where you are currently and you built your new house, I'm imagining that there was no garden there. How did that sit with you? Uh, so when we bought this property, there was a family living here. Um, the house is one of the original buildings in the area. It's a pug and pine hut made from locally sawn cedar pine logs, which is pretty incredible. Oh. Um, but it, it, unfortunately it wasn't we couldn't renovate onto it um, or build on or, you know. Um, so we decided, yeah, to build our own house. So there was a bit of a garden here. They had quite a well-established orchard. But, yeah, we pretty much were um, advised to just start fresh with the build. So that meant, yeah, pretty much clearing the area for the house and then therefore starting fresh with the garden. Um, I managed to convince the builder and council to keep let me keep one beautiful um, eucalyptus camaldulensis that was in within the house yard they were, weren't happy but I managed to do it and I was very much advised by council to not plant any trees to the west but you know they're gone now <laughs> see you later council I do what I want oh, um, really why did they say that of oh, bell ratings and you know fire and things like that but um no so yeah it was it was very exciting to start a garden from fresh. Our previous house had a very old garden that was, you know, past its time. And I know a lot of people move into that situation or have that and they want to know how to make it their own. So I, I've been there, done that, and now I got to start from fresh, which was exciting but also daunting. And so when did Outback Gardens start for you, Cass? It's something I kind of toyed with for a while and I'd always thought, you know, I'd love to go back and do landscape architecture at university or something, you know, um, get the hat trick. And it's just something that always interests me. But unfortunately, where I live, you know, you can't do it by 
correspondence or anything I've tried, but, um, and moving to Melbourne for, you know, three years is off the table in this time of life. But, um, yeah, I just toyed with the idea. I thought, okay, like obviously some of this, this knowledge I've got and experience could help others. And a lot of friends locally would, you know, kind of find out that I was very interested in gardening and I'd give them bits of advice. And I started to just ask them, what do you think if I, you know, maybe started a little business or, you know, and then Instagram and I, I just thought, oh, what an easy way to do it. I'm not, I'm not in it to be a business really. I just wanted to share information. And so I decided to make an Instagram page. Uh, I think it was October, maybe 2020. I, you know, I'd been through a bit of a tough time personally uh, with my son with illness and I was in a bit of a lost place. I wasn't working. I wasn't really back at work yet. I was at home looking after him and I just needed some kind of outlet. And I felt, you know, so it was kind of a killing two birds with one stone. I, I got to share this information that I always kind of wanted to do and help people out here with, you know, maintaining or establishing a garden. Um, and I also got to have that kind of a little bit of purpose for me as well back, which was really nice. And how has it been received? So it's a bit over 18 months since you started Outback Gardens. I love it. I think everybody else does, but you tell me what you see on your end. Thank you. Um, I One of the things that I love the most is the people that I've met. Like I haven't necessarily met a lot of them face to face, but I chat to these incredible women and men around Australia every day. I get to talk to them about something that I'm so interested in and I get to share something that I'm passionate about and um, and the feedback has been wonderful. I, the, you know, there's there's been some incredibly tear-jerky messages come through, um, very personal of helping someone through a tough time or, um, you know, someone that was in hospital waiting for their baby for weeks on end and, you know, she said it was something every day that she really enjoyed and looked forward to and things like that you just can't I don't know you just can't shake off you can't just I don't know so for me it's definitely been about that and motivating people to get out there and I laugh when I get a message from you know someone saying oh my husband rolls his eyes every time he put a post up because now he's got a new job for the weekend a project (laughs) and I just things like that I just are so relatable and so it's just yeah it's great um I don't know part of it's probably the motivation behind it it's not it's not to sell it's not to promote brands or anything like that it's a genuine it's pretty genuine just passion for me and I just I just really want other people to get out there and yeah enjoy their garden isn't it interesting because it's quite technical the information that you share um that that is is and also the fact that you don't have an established garden and so you're really taking people through the journey but that 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 really does hit the mark for people who are in the same age and stage as you yeah I, well I guess I was very hesitant to start off with I was like who am I like what do I have to show like I'm not some you know landscape architect with all these um you know like a degree behind me in experience like formal training I, I don't have this beautiful well-established garden of some people around here or in other regions but you know, I had a few people nudge me along and I had a few epiphanies myself of, you know, what better time to show people how to do it than when you're doing it yourself instead of talking the talk, walk the walk with them. And um, that was, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I started right from the start of this build um, and have been able to share that with people so that they can see that, okay, like I don't have to wait or I'll go and put it off, like just start and do a little bit of time or I'm, I'm glad I took that opportunity and I didn't 
get, let the imposter syndrome creep in too much. <laughs> and Cass, just thinking about the feedback that you've had and the people that you sort of used by example just before, what is it? Like how do you describe the magic of gardens and the process of, of gardening for people's mental health and and just overall happiness in life? Yeah, I, I think gardening is so important. Like, of course, you're out in the fresh air. You've got the dirt on your fingernails. And I feel like for me, I definitely go into a bit of a zone. Um, I'm there just weeding or I'm pruning. Like, we'll get some secateurs into your hand and get into a plant if you're feeling a bit grey on a day. Like, you, you, next minute you wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Um, it's, yeah, probably the poor plant is probably half its size. But um I, I think it's really important. It's um it's it can be quite a monotonous task gardening. And yeah, you really can go into a bit of a Zen mode and and seeing, you know, the accomplishment of nurturing a plant along or creating a, something beautiful. Because at the end of the day, a garden really is for yourself and your family to enjoy. Like who cares what other people think is beautiful or stylish or lovely? Like the real purpose of a garden is for you and your family to go out there and enjoy and we're so lucky um, where we live, you know, a lot of people live out on rural properties, I suppose, that listen to this podcast. And um, I think just make that oasis, you know, there's there's going to be hard times ahead with drought and things like that. And my my husband's always encouraged me with the garden and it's never been like a, a roll of the eyes. It's always been for him, yeah, to also, you know, creating an oasis to come home to, you know, day on the farm can be hard, especially during periods of drought prolonged you know dry periods so I think it's nice to come back and have something that's green and lush it's it's good for your mental health as well in that way not just the physical side of it yeah Yeah. the more I um, garden and look into gardens and enjoy them I just think they're so much more than plants they're really I like to call it like the memory keepers too. They are spaces where experiences and celebrations and even sad times uh, happen and the memory of them are carried through generations of people and that's what you're creating. You're starting your own. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think, yeah, you do need to look at that garden as, as a space, not just a lawn and a few trees that you mow every so often and it's a chore. Like, um, I think, you know, obviously they can be a lot of work, but they can also not be a lot of work and be enjoyable. So it's just about finding the right balance for you and what you need for your family and yourself yeah. to enjoy and create those memories. And as you said, you started all of this because you were going through a really tricky time um, with your son. Can I ask you a little bit about that time? Because it did kind of come, it was quite very serious and came as a bit of a bit of a surprise. Yeah, definitely. And it does very much correlate with Outback Gardens. As I said, it was a challenging time. Um, at the end of 2019, my son was diagnosed with a very rare form of childhood cancer called retinoblastoma. Um, it's a cancer of the retina, which is the back of the eye. Yeah, quite a surprise diagnosis. We had been referred down to the children's from an optometrist after going to her for a um, appointment about a slightly turned eye and a bit of a discoloured iris. And um, she, off a hunch, rang back a couple of days later and said, oh, look, I'm just going to refer you. Just, you know, I just wanted to get checked out. And um, within minutes of sitting in that appointment at the children's, they knew that what was in front of us and we had no clue. And um, 
you know, things were as medical world is, like things were kind of mentioned, but it's a, it's a need-to-know basis and it's a one step at a time in the medical world and I now understand why at the time it was very confusing and um, confronting. But, yeah, he was um, two days later formally diagnosed after uh, anaesthetic to have an examination of his eye and um, a week later he started chemotherapy. So it was, it was uh, you know, he was 18 months old at the time and, um, my husband and I obviously live quite far away and, um, you know, we were there together as, you know, we do everything together. My husband and I, I were quite the team, but, um, yeah. And we just had to follow the bouncing ball. As my obstetrician said to me the other day, it was a great analogy. We just had to follow the bouncing ball and there's nothing else you could do. And we just had to focus on being parents for Jack and keeping him as happy and comfortable as possible. And we were supported by wonderful people and team at the Children's Hospital. And, um, yeah, it was an incredibly challenging time in our lives. I'm so sorry to hear that and that to know that, you know, you've had to go through that and for anybody that has had to, um, you know, that the word blindsided is what, what that is. You're just not expecting it and then your world is completely changed. So when you had to start Jack's chemo, what did that look like for you and your family? Lots of travelling or did you actually have to move yourselves? Uh, we're in Melbourne, the mm. rural children's in Melbourne. Uh, initially they said that we could travel back and forth. Jack was to have chemo every three weeks. Um, our oncologist was like, oh, kids handle it pretty well. Things go pretty smoothly. You know, first time around they don't, you know, they bounce back pretty quick, which they are. They're incredibly resilient. And I, I look back on Jack and what he's been through and, oh, my goodness, like, yeah, the first round of chemo, his cell count dropped incredibly low. He got an infection. We were at home. Um, we had to travel and we were then in hospital for a week in Bendigo um, on antibiotics. Um, and it was quickly decided after that by the team at the children's that we were needed to move closer to the hospital and be closer to the hospital because obviously his little body wasn't going to handle as well as maybe they thought. And so we had an incredibly generous offer from a dear friend um, and we moved into an Airbnb just around the corner from the children's for seven weeks. Um, and at the time it was on offer for the full six-month stint of treatment. Um, even though my family lived about, you know, half an hour, an hour away, that was still too far for the for the team at the children's um you need to be at the hospital pretty asap if anything goes wrong like that uh, yeah we ended up relocating to melbourne um for the treatment um yeah which we didn't as i said we didn't get through the six months of treatment but um we ended up having to take a different path for him yeah so what happened there so uh during jack's second round of chemo um, he had a severe anaphylactic reaction to one of the chemotherapy agents and that was incredibly scary. It was um, very life-threatening at the time. And so chemotherapy was taken off the table. You know, there was there's only limited options for retinoblastoma, especially at the later stages that Jack had. Um, there's chemo, you know, radiation. There's um, a very particular type of chemotherapy that's delivered directly to the eye. Um, and then there's a nucleation removal of his eye. So we were given those options and we started with the chemo and unfortunately we had those major complications and then we he was then given an um, intra-arterial type of chemotherapy which goes through your blood system um, and is delivered straight into your eye. Um, they go up with little tubes all the way up through to their eyes. It's incredible. It was a seven-hour procedure to deliver this 
small amount of chemo straight into his eye, but he did it. But during that procedure, unfortunately, he had a bleed on his brain, um, a stroke, you may call it, I think. Um, and so then that was also a life-threatening. It was the, the risk outweighed the benefit of that treatment. And um, then it was decided that Jack's eye would need to be removed to save his life. And um, we were fortunate that the cancer hadn't metastasized and it was inside the eye. So when the eye was removed, he was then deemed cancer-free. Oh, my goodness. So huge. Did yeah. you feel like it just was always, was just kept going wrong? Yes, definitely so. It um, was the Jack effect in the end. Even the hospital started to kind of not laugh. I should say not laugh, but it became quite a personal joke between us all that, oh, it is Jack. We'll see what happens. Mm. Um, you know, even after he had his right removed, he had to have the implant surgery redone again because that was uh, and moved and that was quite an abnormality in um, treatment. So, you know, it was, um, there was just little things just kept kind of going wrong, like, you know, to have such a rare cancer in the first place and then to have these um, complications um, ongoing. But at the end of the day, we are where we are because of that incredible team down there and otherwise we wouldn't have our son. And, you know, you just sometimes just have to put one foot in front of the other and you can't dwell and we've been very lucky to have support at the time from Red Cart and Country Hope in particular with, um, you know, beautiful volunteers and social workers that did help us through that rough time and, um, you know, and Jack's beautiful and healthy and full of beans and a typical four-year-old farm boy and, mm. you know, you just you've got to focus on the now and it was such an incredibly challenging time and I don't want to seem like a small a small feat of you know but it was um yeah it was incredibly challenging and it rocked our world and I remember thinking when we went into it I said to Marcus this isn't going to change our life we didn't need this we didn't need this shake up like we're grateful we we love each other we've got this beautiful life and grateful for all these things we didn't need this shake up we're not this type of people that you know run ourselves into the ground and needed to be sucked in the face to wake up you know we were young and we had this beautiful little boy and we're happily married and we're on the farm and we had this beautiful like we've got our family and friends around us and but it has, it's changed us to our core. You know, you, you look at things differently, you value things differently, uh, you know. Um, yeah, it, it does change you no matter how hard you think you might not win that shake-up, it's going to shake you up no matter what. <laughs> so, and probably we were told at the time that having another child, you know, there may be a risk of them also having the cancer because it can either be hereditary or a um, mutation you know, we decided that we weren't going to have any more children, but obviously I've got sweet little Sybil in my hands and and I really pushed myself into the deep end with that in the end. You know, the risks were revised over time and it got lower and lower and didn't mean the, the fear got less or less. So we jumped in and we decided we were very fortunate to, to fall pregnant with Sybil, but I, I very much struggled um, that fear that, you know, everything that you thought, was behind you and it, it all came back and um yeah I was I really struggled you know I was very fortunate to be referred to Gidget um, Foundation and I've been working with a beautiful trauma psychologist and she got me to having this beautiful baby in my arms because um it was probably the most courageous thing I've ever had to do you know to decide to go forth with this pregnancy and the potential you know such a low risk now but just even the thought of going through that again, you know, once, you know, you, you fumble your way through it, but twice I was like, there's no way. So, mm. um, 
you know because you know in the first time you are so and you're just making your way through it you've got no knowledge you're learning along the way um Mm. you just are almost numb to what's happening around you and everything is crystallized only the most important thing matter things matter but then when you step outside of it you do get a bit more personal perspective and to be thrust back into that is and I suppose also the fear will never leave you do you believe that that there'll always be an element of that there similar to a grief I suppose yeah definitely I um, almost I say that I, I lost a bit of naivety in the whole you know system and I you know and I you know you do have to stop and not look at other people and begrudge them or hold resentment because they haven't been through something you know of that kind of level of trauma in their life and you you know you really do uh, for a while I did kind of have that the grief of that naive of you have a beautiful child and everything's okay and they grow up healthy and um happy and you know nothing rocks your boat and I guess I just and things don't go wrong you know they don't kind of happen to us but then you learn that they do yeah they they definitely can and I don't want to scare anyone or make anyone you know worry but you know yeah these things can happen and it's all about I guess how you come out the other end and um and that support network around you and also reaching out for that support and help and it's not easy but you it's there if you if you need it and yeah and you know we've got a bit still a road ahead Jack is still regularly checked under anesthetic down at the children's and Sybil will start um, at three months old, she had a check only hours after being born um, by a specialist um, that the children's organised to come to the country hospital where she was born. And, um, you know, at three months old, she'll be down at the children's under anaesthetic getting her check started. And um, so we do have a bit of a road ahead and still, but, you know, it all looks positive and you've just got to focus on that it can be okay and everything can be all right. And, you know, I'm going to get emotional, but when she was born, I just, you know, I, I just had this weight lifted off my chest of, I remember just, you know, she came out and I was like, she's okay. And they're like, she's okay. She's great. And I just, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, as I said, it was probably the most courageous thing I've ever had to do and will ever have to do in my life. You know, looking down the barrel of potentially that same scenario, as we said, once is, once is enough, but twice you just, oh, it's, yeah, you've just got to, Keep your your blinkers on, follow that bouncing ball. (laughs) I think you're amazing. (laughs) It makes me really emotional too. Um, Yes, for so many reasons and also just the fact that, um, you know, you mentioned your naivety and that's taken away and you learn, you're plunged into real life in um, a really hard way. But congratulations and well done on making it this far and I hope that things continue to be be a smooth journey for for Sybil and that's why it's so important that we're doing this interview and she's sitting there in your arms <laughs> you just I yeah. bet you don't want to let her go no no she's um she's a divine little thing and our, our Jack is just something else he's just yeah he's incredible as I said he he went through all of that his little body and he's so resilient and always a smile on his face and even the hardest of days the chemo would hit him and he'd still be up on his little track with his nasal gastric tube in and they're just so resilient, these children. And, yeah, I don't know if it's because he's a little bush kid or what, but I just, yeah, he's great. What was it like being in the oncology ward? Oh, it's still, you just got to be numb. You almost got to take all your, 
empathy out of your body to walk into that ward. It's uh, it's a different world. The nurses in there are incredibly beautiful people. The oncologists, they're just something else. I don't know how they go home and how they do it. Um, and I just, yeah, um, it's challenging. Now we've, we had our last oncology appointment uh, well, I think next time in September is our last oncology appointment, which is quite the milestone. I'm hoping they'll let me ring the bell for Jack because it's one thing that we want to do. We never got to do, but um, yeah, you just, you've just got to, as I said, one from, from the other, you sit down, you take your ticket and you try not to think too much about that little kid that's sitting opposite you that, you know, I don't know, um, anyone that's been within the, the children's hospital system, it's another world it's a bubble it's something you never want anyone else to have to witness but you're so grateful to be there um you know you've got cleaners that don't care that your kids looks gray and sick and has just come out of chemo's vomiting they don't care they just smile at them and say hi um you've got these nurses you've got coordinators that will call you answer your phone any time of the day like it's, yeah, it's a place that you're so grateful for but you wish never existed and that's the same for that oncology ward. It's somewhere, you, yeah, you never, ever want to step foot in but you're so grateful it's there and the people within it are just something else. You put it so articulately, Cass. I wonder if the gardens really helped you process all of what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's a, I've had a, a little bit of time to reflect on it all but um yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think um, I'm lucky. I've got, as I said, that garden to come home to, and um, it's uh, it was something I definitely needed um, when we returned home from Melbourne. And Jack was still needing quite a lot of care um, day to day. It was something that gave me a bit of me time, a bit of purpose, and was something I could easily do at the time. They say it takes a village and I'm interested to know about what people at home, so you know, where where you live now, how they kind of helped you through um, that tough time. Yeah, um, all different ways. You know, my, obviously my in-laws, they kept the, the whole show going up here, you know, for my husband to step away from a, a farming property for so long. Um, he you know, he left and there was no looking back. So for them to carry on the weight of of that, which at the time I probably didn't appreciate as much, but, you know, looking back, it would have been a huge amount of extra work for them and obviously then the support and the worry that they had personally going through this situation. Um, and just, yeah, locally, just, you know, all, all different. Um, you know, I left my job in two seconds. Um, I left my, rang my manager and said, my son's been diagnosed with cancer and he has take as long as you want. Just mm-hmm. don't worry. Don't even think about us. Like, um, you know, all sorts of things. We were building a house at the same time. We built our house. You know, Jack was diagnosed at the end of October and we started building at the start of January. And um, I put so much energy into the you know, the design of our house and materials and organisation of all of it. And we had the most beautiful team of tradesmen ever, you know, to be hours away and building a dream house and just trust them, you know. Um, And they were so lovely and supportive and we'd come back and visit and have a look and it was, you know, always how's Jack going? It was, you know, that was always the first thing before how is, you know, oh, this flooring or this or whatever and, um, yeah, I was also very lucky to have this project at the same time that very much kept me 
going. It was a great distraction at times, um, you know, sitting in chemo for hours on end and being able to scroll through, oh, let's look at this tapware and um, yeah. yeah, just, yeah, um, very surreal. But at the same time, it was, it was a great distraction to have. I think, well, I don't want to keep asking you so much about this, but thank you so much for being very candid about your experience because it while it is um while Jack's diagnosis is rare there are people out there I'm sure that have um been through similar things in in some way or form um and now hopefully you're on the you're on the upside I did want to ask you Cass before you go about gardening and if you had any tips for girls and women who are starting from scratch with a garden what would you say to them <laughs> that's yes. a big question I would say first of all just have a walk around the space definitely um get to get familiar with the space get to know where there's sunlight in the morning and sunlight in the evening and how that changes over the seasons um also your water you know everyone has battles of water out in the country what your water is like the availability the quality I would also you know get familiar with your soils whether you've got a clay or a sand these types of things really impact the type of plants and the style of planting I guess that you can use um I'd probably start off putting all that information down on a piece of paper you know draw a, a little mud map draw a 2D mud map of where your house is, where this certain tree is, where north is, where um, you know you want your little entry gate, and 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 then just start. Are you, are you a great drawer? Do you love do you love a mud map? Yeah, I love drawing. I'm a very visual person. I used to, you know, when we we're building this house, I'd I'd be able to walk through it in my brain. Um, I'm very visual, so I like to have that down on paper. And I think, yeah, drawing a little mud map. Um, you can write a list, I guess, of your priorities for the garden as well, and you can say like, what is it that you want out of that garden? Um, and then start small. Start off with a few plants. Start off with a couple of trees. You know, don't you don't have to go in gung-ho and get it all done in a month and do a full backyard blitz like just you know just get yourself into it don't freak yourself out don't scare yourself off um I know I guess the same with diets crush diets like same thing like make small little changes in your lifestyle um uh, here I am good lifestyle group but yeah oh no <laughs> um just yeah just start small started with a few plants get familiar with them and then you know if you lose a couple well don't don't use that if those ones do well okay we'll try them again and put them somewhere else in your garden and talk to other people nearby that have gardens and your local nursery staff and you know they know they're a wealth of knowledge and um, have a look around your local town take some pictures of plants you like and take that into the nursery and ask them what is this and they'll want to share they love gardening just as much as you know me probably and um, probably more but yeah um, that would probably be my advice just get familiar with what you've got and then go from there and take it bit by bit and don't have too much lawn lawn's so much work (laughs) so interesting I love a lawn but you're right and yes yes you're you're right but everyone does need a little bit of green lawn just to complement the oasis oh definitely but just you don't need a field you know (laughs) just try and keep it to um a good scale of your house and practicality for your you know what you can do in summer what how much time do you have to sit on that mower do you like mowing 
No, not really. I I tend to run into things on the mower um, (laughs) and trenches. My husband's the mower. Um, I used to like it more, but here, I don't know, it's his job now. So just in finishing, do you have any hopes and dreams for for what Outback Gardens might become? Um, I just hope to continue to encourage others in the garden. Like I, I really do. I just want... You know, people that think, oh, it's a bit too hard or, you know, that's down the priority list or um, don't know where to start or I just hope that I can, you know, if they put one tree in and, like, you know, I, I'm all about the environment obviously and I, yeah, I just, even if they plant a couple of trees, I'd be happy. So um, for me there's there's not really a, a huge long-term goal potentially, you know, make more of a business maybe at one point. Uh, you know when lifestyle permits it obviously with farms and young kids but um yeah for now it's it's certainly just all about encouraging people to get out there and just give it a go and yeah that's it I love chatting to you Cass thanks so much for for talking with us on life on the land and for sharing a little bit of your new baby girl with us thank you Sky thanks so much it's been lovely to chat to you this morning The older I grow, the more I realise there is such a magic to gardening, and Cass's story shows exactly that. Without indulging too much, those of you that know me will know that there are many similarities between Cass's story and my own. My family has had its own experience with the notion of being blindsided by an unexpected diagnosis for a young child, and so much of what Cass was talking about here today happened to us and I know that behind the story we hear and that Cass tells there is another layer of stories and emotions and things that are hard to process and to get over and to be strong about and I say this because I think it's important to think about this when we hear stories of trauma and illness, loss, grief and upheaval, that behind the stories we hear there is usually an enduring pain that it pays to sometimes inquire about this or be sensitive to it. If you or anyone you know might find this interview difficult to listen to or if you think they need help, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or beyondblue.org.au. Speaking about stepping out of our comfort zones, this is a theme that runs through the winter edition of Grazy Her, which is going on sale this week. I can't wait to see my copy. Many of the stories are about mentors and mentorship from fourth generation graziers Maddie and Danielle Darcy on their NT cattle station to our cover girl Maddie Kerr's new life in New York. It is jam-packed full of great stories. Save yourself the trouble and the coldness of trudging to the news agencies in this cold weather by subscribing now at grazyher.com.au. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week with another Life on the Land story.